Now y'all ready? We're ready. All right. Let's go. Let's go first to Aaron for a um I guess a slight detour. A, a slight detour. I had a thought while I was contemplating during the past week. Um because I was like, buckle your seatbelts. So I wanted to look and just this is a this strictly non-scholarly study that I did. It was strictly off the dome. In a few instances, I did look up some stuff. But I was just very curious because this podcast, we watch the classics for you, with you sometimes. And every movie, we always do like a POC count to show what the roles were and how many people of color depicted in these classic American movies. And no surprise, it's not, it's not well. It's not a very good track record. But I, I just want, I just got it in my brain, I'm, I'm, I'm in my head. I said, let me go to AFI, the American Film Institute, because I remember in 1998 that they came out with their 100 years, 100 movies. And that was in 1998. I was a senior in high school and I was already big into film, but I remember it was really important to me watching it because it was the first time that I heard of a lot of different films or I had heard of films and then I got to see clips and people explained to me why they were so great. And I was already going to go off and go to film school. So it was just right up my alley. And then I was thinking like, well, 100 years, that puts us back to 1898. And in this week, I learned about something that happened in 1898 in our history, our country's history that I had not known anything about. Um, it's called the Wilmington Lie. So please Google that and, and you can get educated on it. I was, it was very enlightening. And I thought it was just crazy how these different things are coming together. So I went on the website and I wanted to do a very broad, very quick kind of POC count of the 100 greatest films because this is American Film Institute. So this represents the United States. This represents all of us. And these are the films that are the most important, most significant. And I wanted to kind of do, so out of all of them, our show, we've done 31 of these films. And yeah, and we're going to do more, I'm sure. Um, of these films, I've seen in my life 79 of them, of the 100. Yeah. So I haven't oh, seen all of them. So that's why I'm saying this is very like loosely based. But I wanted to write down how many of these films had people of color, specifically black people, and what roles they played in the film. Right. Of these 100 films, they're the greatest American films of all time. So we have Shawshank Redemption. Morgan Freeman was in it. He prisoner. was a prisoner. Exactly. To Kill a Mockingbird, accused of rape. Gone with the, I was going to call it Gone with the Bushes. Gone with the Wind. <laughs> Slaves. Slaves. All of them. Unforgiven. Again, Morgan Freeman. He's a retired outlaw. Rocky. We have Apollo Creed. So he, he's, a, he's a boxer, but he is set up as the, what, what's it called? The... Oh, the like he's not the one, villain. The, the, he's the, uh, uh, everybody's yelling it. So you know what I'm trying to say. It's antagonist. That yeah, the antagonist. Oh, yes. In the heat of the night, 
Sidney Portier. He plays a police detective. But I did further reading because I haven't seen this film yet. He plays a police detective who was uh, arrested for murder. So I was like, oh, well, he's a police de- Philadelphia police detective, but he gets arrested for murder. Do the right thing. Which I'm like, that's the only film made by anybody of color on the list. And it was in at 96. Number 96 out of 100. So those are the films. Those were eight films. But then, so again, this this list came out in 1998. And when you go to the AFI site, you see it. But it's the 10-year anniversary mark. So it's the list that I think they did in 2007, 2008. And they had a list that showed what movies went up and down and what movies were new. Because there is one movie on here that on the the list that I looked at that made me laugh. It was I haven't seen it. It's 1916 W.D. Griffin's silent film Intolerance. And I thought that was very interesting because I'm like, that's not the most famous W.D. Griffin film that he made. It's not Intolerance. Um, so when I'm looking at the list, but I, I laugh because I'm like, oh, well, at least they had good enough sense not to put Birth of a Nation on this list of movies that's rep- like, these are the best films of America. Right. Except right before we started recording, because on that list I was looking for, it didn't show, it had a whole bunch of new movies, like new, 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 because I believe Do the Right Thing wasn't on the original oh, okay. 1998 list. But it didn't show what movies got replaced. So I quickly looked up the original 1998 list. And sure enough, on this list of American movies, the best movies ever made that of, for America, Birth of a Nation was on that 1998 list. And it was at number 44. Damn. Which, so then I looked at, so again, so discarding the the whole birth of a nation thing those were eight films out of a hundred and every single character had something to do with the law or was enslaved so that's the that's sort of the depiction that we're going for here of those films we have gone with the wind the general that the character it is sympathetic if not the characters are heroic for the confederacy Forrest Gump's on the list, but remember, Forrest Gump was named after Nathaniel Bedford Forrest, who was a Southern Confederate general. And the African Queen's on the list. It's a film that takes place entirely in Africa. I haven't seen it yet, but I went onto the Google page and clicked on cast, and there's not one black person listed on the cast for a film set in Africa about African Queen. So, I'm like... Wow. Oh my God. Right. So then I'm like, okay, let's look at their 50 greatest screen legends. They split it up. This is, again, the American Film Institute. They split it up. They have 25 women, 25 men. And they defined, this is, quote, American screen legend as an actor or team of actors with a significant screen presence in American feature-length films whose screen debut occurred in or before 1950, or whose screen debut occurred after 1950, but whose death has marked a completed body of work. So I just scanned all of them. Uh, the only person of color who's one is Sidney Poitier. Everyone else is white people. 
white women, all white men, although they do say the 13 were born outside of the United States of America. But we know where they were born because. (laughs) (laughs) So I say all of that to just tie in to a nice little bow that there is a definition that the belief that white people are superior to those of all other races, especially black races, and should therefore dominate society. So that's the definition of white supremacy. Yes. So even when you look at these films that they have touted as being American, it's dominated by white people and the way that people of color depicted slaves, prisoners, fugitives. Like this is a history and it just shows which gets reinforced subtly. And we all know how subtle things are because look at adver- advertising. It's how advertising works. Things, right. things get subtly put into your head and into your mind. So you're like, ah, they must be less than. Dehumanizes. We have West Side Story. I didn't put it on the list because that it was on their list. But you had Natalie Wood. I mean, it's about Puerto Ricans. And so there are people of color. But Natalie Wood's the lead in that. She's white. Right. Um, and then one other thing, there's tonight there's going to be a documentary. I don't know how great it is, but it's a 30 for 30 on ESPN. And it's about Bruce Lee. And Bruce Lee was born in America. He was born in San Francisco and he had to leave America to make movies. And I just think it's a real shame that like we got. Um, I wanted to say, honestly, right here, I wanted to say gypped. And that's not that's also a thing that like you can't. And, th- you know, of, of, but that's how deep this and far it goes. But it's in that real time of kind of like checking yourself and saying like, oh, wait a second. So we've we've been neglected of so much talent as a country. Yes. And so I just wanted to 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 start the show off and just kind of give like a broad like refresher of, you know, white supremacy is not just. Uh, defined by people in hoods or people who are shouting racist things like white supremacy is the subtle thing of like if it's white it must be better than everything else and the people who made up the list i'm sure are all white oh yeah and you know what there's no films made by women (laughs) either well i just logged on to the website i mean you know i've seen like maybe like 15 of the ones on the list. Um, but you'd think also that they would have something on there now about like, oh, by the way, here's a list of some films you might. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So. Okay. Very nice. I want to give a shout out to Muriel Bowser, mayor of D.C., because the White House is now 1600 Black Lives Matter Avenue. She changed it to from Pennsylvania Avenue. You didn't see it? I mean, she had it. She had it painted on the street. Yeah. Oh yeah, I, I saw. I but saw that. But isn't she also doing a lot of other effed up stuff as far as like funding for police behind and like it? Yeah, there's a there's a lot of different things, and the thing is, the way I see it is, wars are fought on many fronts. And yes. 
you know, you're going to have to, to take the good in some case, it's just going to have to, to weigh out and, you know, it's politics and this white supremacy goes deep in in, like the country was built on it. So in order to dismantle it, it's, it's going to take a lot of work and it's going to take, uh, you know, like, and also because people like we all, we all have been, not all of us, but like, I mean, us here, we have benefited from the system as it is. And so it's, you know, coming to light and being like, wait a second. No, this is wrong. I'm going to, I'm going to, I want to make a change. I'm going to start reading more. I'm going to start looking into things. I'm going to, because you can't, you can't um, fix something if you don't know how it was put together in the first place. Right. So I've been watching Ken Burns' The Civil War. I've been reading a lot, hearing a lot of things, going back into history, reading the story. Well, what exactly happened after the Civil War, after the slaves were freed? What is Reconstruction, the Jim Crow? There's great, there's so many documentaries out. Amazon Prime has a whole bunch of documentaries. Netflix, they have- a good Netflix list the other day. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of good ones on there about like especially since it's now also pride month yes mm-hmm. yes and like there was a black trans person and murdered like last month in somewhere i think florida that no nobody ever heard about on the news. right exactly right. i mean we only heard about george floyd because we saw the video we only know exactly. about there had Ahmed not been iphones because yeah. of the video we didn't even know about brianna uh yeah taylor and that was like months later yeah because somebody was like hey this happened and when you look at the the numbers of how many people die at the hands of the police it's staggering and we don't hear about it because we don't see it so yeah it's just it's just education and sort of seeing every in everyday real life because it's there and the people who say that it isn't are the like it's people who aren't of a minority or it's not black and brown people who are ever saying that right. racism isn't in anything because when you when you if you are not a white person in this country this country reminds you of it at least once every single day and people think we had a black president so everything got fixed but obviously the backlash was then getting um the person who's now at 1600 black lives matter <laughs> i mean that is something it is yeah i yeah i i i she i was always on the fence about her and i'm sure there are lots of things that that she's had to compromise about and yeah uh, and it's not all perfect. her decisions right. i don't i can't pretend to understand anything mm-hmm. about how government works but it's, but it's that's there's painted a... in yellow on the street yeah. i love it and we have a line now that you know, all right, now you know. Yes. Like now we are, now stop and listen. And now there's no excuse. And there's gonna, but what? No, now you, like, so now going forward for all these politicians and celebrities and people of influence, you're on notice going forward right. from now and companies, on. There are like uh, a bunch of companies. I won't get into that are being called out. Yes. 
for good reasons. And we're going to move on. All right. <laughs> yeah. I just wanted to give that intro because there's a lot of people who might be like, they don't understand white supremacy and not the idea of it. Right. And, how and a lot of people do think, oh, that's, uh, that's a white hood. That's mm-hmm. people who are actually out there yelling expletives, but it's, it's all, yeah, it's part of what's been suppressed. And mm-hmm. so there, there'll be some more education in this episode. There, there will indeed. Um, this week we are going to, I'm going to assume, New York City. You know what? I think it's Los Angeles because it was shot oh, really? in Los Angeles. Yeah. Oh, it was. That's true. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, a struggling stockbroker, which is why I said New York, <laughs> Jimmy Shannon, learns that if he marries by 7 p.m. on his 27th birthday, which is today, he'll inherit $7 million from an eccentric relative. Now, did Teeny, did you do the nerd alert about $7 million? It would be about $100 million today. <laughs> yeah, I just thought. And you about, I mean, I say this with Adam being in the next room, but you better believe if somebody was like, oh, you're going to get, if you can find somebody to marry by 7 o'clock today, you'll get $100 million. Damn straight. Mm-hmm. Damn straight. Yeah, I'm going to try for the one I want to marry first. But after that, I mean. Exactly. 1925, $7 million. Yeah. And that was when, like, if you, you know, of a, of a certain social stratus and skin color, life was pretty good. Well, yeah. Yeah. What are you going to buy with all the, I mean, come on. What do you buy with $7 million? I'll tell you what you shouldn't in 1925. Stocks. Stay away <laughs> from the market. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's no electronics. You have like three cars to choose from. Yep. And he had the he had this fanciest of them all. Yeah, but that's just... we are doing seven chances. Yes. Oh, the, particulars? the particulars. All right. So seven chances. It was released March 11th, 1925. It is a six reel feature film, and it comes in at 56 minutes. What does six reel mean? Six reel. So, oh, okay. So for film, you know, you have the film canisters. <laughs> oh, there's six of those. Yeah, because each film canister only holds about 10 minutes worth of film. So for oh, feature films, okay. like when they were, before they, they were all digital in the projections, when you would go to the theater, you would every, did you ever see like in the upper right-hand corner? Oh, yeah. The, I, okay. That yeah. And so that would be when they would have to switch it because mm. it would be the next reel. So they were like, look, we can't go over 60 minutes for this. It's going to be too many, too many canisters. And when I was in college, I had to take an, this was 19, early 70s, an audiovisual course because if you showed a film for your class it was on those reels and then it could it could break and you'd have to know how to splice it back together you got your fingerprints on it yeah and, and, and in and 1925 each... it could catch on fire <laughs> Ooh. celluloid so um yeah that cracks me up because that's how we used to get films for our classroom and then because 
no, I'm not going to do that. But um, sometimes if you had extra time, then you'd show it backwards. And the kids would love that, too, because it was fun to watch backwards because it was like, I still have 30 minutes of this class. Let's go backwards. You just watched it in real time, just backwards. Yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. All right. It was produced by Joseph M. Sh- Sh- oh, man. Shenick. Shenick. Shank, just like the Shanks we knew. Yeah, Shank. Joseph M. Shank. I always get him in like Senek confused, and that's not. I was new to reading. Um, in 1933, he partnered partnered with Daryl F. Zanuck to create 20th Century Pictures. In 1935, that merged with Fox Film Corp. Oration to form 20th Century Fox. R.I.P. Corp. Oration. <laughs> It was one of the most powerful film studios around. He got caught in a payoff scheme to buy peace with militant unions, was convicted of tax evasion, did prison time, got a presidential pardon, and went back to 20th Century Fox and became infatuated with an unknown actress named Marilyn Monroe and really helped jumpstart her career. Oh. He's also a founding member of the Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts and Sciences. Alrighty then. He he was big time. It was um, directed, edited, and produced by Buster Keaton. He also directed Sherlock Jr., The Cameraman, The General, The Rough House, Steamboat Bill Jr., Nerd Alert, he was married to Natalie Tal- Gosh. Talmadge, right? Yes. Her sister, Norma Talmadge, was married to Joseph Shank. Cool. Let's see? So. Mm. The screenplay is by... Okay, there's, there's we're about to get really detoured into a really major nerd alert, guys. Uh-oh, okay. Just preparing everybody. So the screenplay is by Joseph A. Mitchell and also... Um, Clyde Brookman yeah it was Brookman he worked on a lot of the pictures like Sherlock Jr. The Navigator The Cameraman The General he also th- directed four Laurel and Hardy comedies and he also worked with the Three Stooges I just said Joseph A. Mitchell and then a Gene Havitz and this guy worked with Buster Keaton and Harold Lloyd it was also it was Buster Keaton, Harold Lloyd, and Charlie Chap- Chaplin were the three main silent comedy film stars of the day. Um, Harold Lloyd was probably the most famous of them all, but his persona was that of a square college guy, and it really didn't age well. It was because I haven't heard of him. Yeah, he. he I watched his films. Like we'll, we'll probably do one later on. They were really good. They just didn't age as well. And then Charlie Chaplin. His stuff hasn't, like Buster Keaton of all of these guys is the ones that has aged the most because of how kind of seemingly modern they kind of seem in all the different aspects of them. And I will uh, say, I will say that that was one of my thoughts mm-hmm. while watching this. So this guy, Gene Harvitz, he was also a novelty songwriter and he wrote a song called Dark Town Poker Club 
for and he worked a lot with the great vaudevillian Burt Williams. So of course I see Dark Town Poker Club. I'm like, let me see how racist this song is. But then I found out that Burt Williams, the famous vaudevillian, he is a black man. He is the first black American to take a lead role in a Broadway play. He wrote and produced and starred in a Broadway play called In Dahomey. W.C. Fields called him the funniest man I ever saw, the saddest man I ever knew. Oh. I, so I went and I there's this website called Blackface! Exclamation point. And I got a lot of great information from it. The theater, theater magazine, so this is like, like for America, said, quote, a vastly funnier man than any white comedian now on the American stage. He was the first black actor to join Actors Equity. He performed in London for the for King Edward VII at Buckingham Palace. Wow. He was the first black comedian to ever appear in cinema. So then I got I got to do a timeout here because I need to explain that Burt Williams performed in blackface. And that was in the times because even if you were black, you had to wear blackface because it further dehumanized black people to make you be like less than. Like audiences wouldn't accept the black man going out there. He had to be made up in the blackface. So white performers in vaudeville would wear blackface and black performers in vaudeville would wear blackface because of white supremacy because it, then it, it emphasizes the um it's the caricature it's your the stereotypical yes i don't need eyes, to big lips exactly i'm it's dehumanizing wow. it's it's right. dehumanizing it's saying that this person isn't like me they don't have feelings like me they're right. not a human being so who cares what happens to them it's the message he had a, his character, because he had a huge career with this other guy. His last name was Walker. And then this guy got sick and died from syphilis. And he came up with this other character called Jonah Man. Um, and he was the familiar, dim-witted Jim Crow character. But Like he, Step and Fetch it. Well, yeah. I mean, Jim Crow was a character. That's where the name came from. And if you don't know what Jim Crow kind of looked like, it's the pose that... Uh, Childish Gambino, Donald Glover does in his "This Is America" video, mm-hmm. like when he's he, you know, <laughs> trying to describe it. But a lot of people will will know it or recognize it, and if you don't, get educated. Um, but he added depth, and was he was uh, even though he was this is what the quote a dumb coon in appearance only. <laughs> The man underneath was dubious and con- contemplate contemplative. So this guy was such a good actor that even when he was in blackface, shucking and jiving, the audience still loved him because he was able to convey such depth beyond that. Wow. But he had to be in blackface. Because to that was even step to, on to the even stage. be on the stage. I go back to W.C. Fields, the funniest man I ever saw, the saddest man I ever knew. Yeah, oh, wow. Damn. In 1914, he was in a comedy film 
called Darktown Jubilee, a silent film. In a Brooklyn screening of the all-black film, there were booze, catcalls, and a damn near race riot from the white audience who rejected the all-black film. I don't think they rejected it because he was in blackface. Uh, right. I don't think so either. Right. Um, no. That did not offend the audience. No. Right. He was by... He was considered by some to be one of the greatest... He also had a considerable recording career, which is interesting because when I went to look up Darktown Poker Club to listen to it, I didn't see any Burt Williams listed and like who recorded it and stuff. But he had a, a considerable recording career considered by some to be one of the greatest recording artists of all time. Have any of you all heard of Burt Williams? I hadn't. His Mr. Nobody was recorded by the likes of Nina Simone and Johnny Cash. Wow. Booker T. Washington said that he did more for the race than he did. And he was Booker T. Washington. He died in 1922, so he couldn't have been in this film at the age of 47. Oh, my God. Oh, he was born in the Bahamas. Yep. Yep. He was bohemian. She's like Tommy. Mm-hmm. So it isn't that there weren't black films out there to be included on the AFI. It wasn't that there weren't black actors out there to be included on the list of AFI's yeah. greatest stars. Mm-hmm. All right. So the, I just wanted to, when I went down that rabbit hole, I'm like, they're coming down there too. <laughs> All right. Burt Williams. Go read more about him. Look into it. The story was by David Belasco from the play he produced, Seven Chances, which was written by Roy McGuire Cooper. Um, I can't imagine this is a stage play. Yeah, he also wrote Why Mary. Um, David Belasco also wrote, directed, or produced over 100 Broadway plays. He launched and renamed, gave this woman her name uh, and her career, Barbara Stanwyck. Like, here's your name. Launched her career. Wow. Mm -hmm. The director of photography is Byron Houck. He was a major league baseball pitcher. And Fatty Arbuckle, who was a famous comedian, and and he's actually how um, Buster Keaton got his start into films, owned a base the base professional baseball team that he worked on and so he started working that's how he started working with fatty arbuckle and then that's how he eventually worked with buster keaton and he shot sherlock jr and the general and then also elgin leslie who's also known as the human metronome because in those days you had to hand crank the camera so if you wanted something in slow motion you under crank it and oh, if you wow. want something oh to appear God, fast, so you have annoying. to crank it faster. Yeah. And, and the, think of somebody with no rhythm, no sense of yeah. timing. So this guy, like Buster Keaton would say, I need it at this tempo. And he would lock into it and crank oh the camera at that. Gosh. He, his father was a Confederate Army veteran. And he shot all 19 of Keaton's short films and six of his feature films. 
And the music was by Robert Israel, and that was done in 1995. Okay. And we're starring as Jimmy Shannon. We have Buster Keaton. He's 29 in this. His real name, Joseph Frank Keaton, a.k.a. The Great Stone Face. He got his start with his parents in vaudeville when he was like three years old. Um, Fatty Arbuckle. Then he he got on the set with Fatty Arbuckle, and he was in One Week, The General, Sherlock Jr. He had a cameo in It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. He's also in Pajama Party. Did a lot of TV. T-Roy Barnes was Billy Meekin, who was the partner. He was also in It's a Gift, The Great White Way, which I had to look it up at this point because I was a bit heated. (laughs) And it's a boxing movie. Yes, and Dangerous Curves. We have Schnitz Edwards was the lawyer. He was in Battling Butler, College, and Public Enemy. Ruth Dwyer as Mary Jones. She was in The Steelers, His Mystery Girl, The Fear Fighter. Jules Cowell as The Hired Hand. He was also in Spook Ranch, Thunder God, and Mockery. And wow. Jean Arthur was in, she was uncredited as the country club receptionist. And Jean Arthur oh. was also in Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, You Can't Take It With You, and Mr. Deeds Goes to Town. Oh, okay. Oh, was she, she the one reading the book? No, I, she was the receptionist. Not she the, was, yeah. she was, the, not the hat. No, okay, yeah. I didn't, um, I didn't know that it was Gene Arthur until I had already seen it and I didn't go back to no, yeah. be like, oh, what? So, those okay. are the particulars, okay? Well, because it is a silent film, we start with a title card that says, One beautiful summer day when fragrant flowers were in bloom jimmy shannon met mary jones and he wanted to tell her he loved her and then you see them in a picket fence in front of a nice little house and then he's outside and then we see them outside talking to mary and there's a dalmatian puppy <laughs> it was a door that was so then it kept growing into different things that was yeah. the, that was the gag the visual gag Oh, okay. oh, to show okay. how much like, time had passed. Oh, yeah. I wondered about okay. that. Like, oh, he's a he puppy. Into a great Dane. And now all of a sudden it's this huge yes. dog. Um, okay, so then we, uh, then it's Autumn, and he still wanted to uh, tell her he loved her. Still in front of the same house, but we're looking at Autumn time, and it's a grown-up dog that's not a Dalmatian. Now, it's not even, it's like a, what do we call it? It's a great Dane, between, I think Teeny said. Yeah, but an in-between dog. Not full-grown, but... Like a teenager? Okay. <laughs> teenager And dog. then um, we see them, and then it's winter, same deal. Springtime, same deal. So he still hasn't told her he loves her in a whole year. And, and, and you then, kind of get this, like... This is why I, love, I just I just like the guy's mannerisms and stuff of how he's, he's so trying. Awkward. He's, he's just, just super awkward. awkward. And then you have the title cards, so you know that he's trying to say, but he's just not. And you're just like this guy. Yeah, he tries really hard, but it it it's not happening. And then we see Jimmy uh, with his. He's a junior partner in the firm, Meekin and Shannon. 
And uh, they had been tricked into a financial deal that meant disgrace and possibly prison unless they raised money quickly. And then we have that ticker tape. What is that tape that comes out of that domed, the glass dome like thing? Ticker, isn't it like a telegram or something? I, mean, I think that's how they used to communicate in the, those olden days. And um, there's a lawyer with good news for Jimmy. And we see a paper that says, to my grandson, James Shannon, I hear. And may I share back in the day, Irish people were um, also people of color. We're not, you know, Anglo-Saxon. Yeah, but I mean, you they didn't could know. Easily, but I'm just saying, I, there were a lot of places that said Irish need, need not, not apply. apply. And then you, yeah. but you could go in and be like, I'm German. Yeah, yeah, I'm bull. So, um, it's, I that's hear, true, but it, it's, they still fall under the white supremacy. Like, you know. It, yeah, it's, exactly. It's I know, but I just want to, and Italian people were often shunned for different. Okay. And, uh, and to my grandson, James Shannon, I hereby bequeath the balance of my estate amounting to dot, dot, dot. We don't know how much he's getting. And... Um, there, the lawyer with that paperwork is at the their law, their stockbroker office, and so they go, "Oh, there's somebody out there. It might be a summons because they had done this shady dealing." So they are trying to avoid the lawyer because they don't want a summons to have to appear before a judge. Yeah, they figure this lawyer has nothing but more. No, I mean, they usually don't have good news. Exactly. Exactly. They don't definitely don't have this kind of good news. No, I mean, no, I've never had a lawyer. And so the receptionist closes the door and says he's not in. Um, the lawyer goes in anyway, but he's shut out. He pulls up a chair in the reception area and waits. And his, the lawyer is, uh-uh, uh-uh, sorry. The partner is saying to Jimmy, hey, let's go to the country club. Because, you know, we're about to go to jail, so <laughs> why not? They leave by the side door, and so there's a lot of physical comedy antics of the lawyer chasing after them, trying to say, dude, I got money for you, and they're trying to, to slip him because they don't want to yeah, go to jail. There's so much in, in these gags with the like uh, evading the lawyer. There's so much timing, just perfect timing, because exactly. they're trying to slip him, go around. At one point, the thing that that stuck out to me was when they the partner and Keaton were getting in the elevator, how they both take off their hat at the same time and they both put on their hat at the same time. Exactly. Just, you're just like, man, this guy was good. And I, were they taking off their hats at the elevator because there was a woman in the elevator? Yes. I kind of felt like that was, you know, and it was those straw. Well, it was what he was known for. A, a pork pie hat, I I think it's called. Was that? No, that's not pork pie. Oh. It it was a straw boater hat or something. Oh. I don't know. Anyway. So they get in a car and then the lawyer gets a taxi to follow. That was like the scene in, wasn't it Pillow Talk where the guy stole somebody else's taxi? Mm-hmm. Um, so... They, finally, he, they get to the club, and he's not allowed in the club because he's not a member. 
And so he walks around the grounds and they're sitting at a table at a restaurant and he's holding the paper up to the glass saying, you are getting an inheritance. So then shout out to this lawyer. Yes. Yes. Okay, fine. He didn't answer the, he wouldn't let me see him and they were kind of a dick to me. So exactly. You're missing out on $7 million. Wouldn't this lawyer get a cut of that? Probably. Yeah. He didn't look like he was the kind who would go to this much trouble unless he was getting a cut. I think he's like, this is exactly what I need. So security comes and takes the lawyer away and then they run out and see, this is all done with no words. You just, it's all, yeah, it was great. So then they're back at the office. They pull, I like how the lawyer's sitting in a chair uh, Buster Keaton and his partner pull up a chair, but still sit on the desk. <laughs> and um, this has got great gags. Your grandfather has left you the sum of, and we st- and he has to turn several pages, and he has the the kind of glasses that clip onto your nose, and so they keep falling off. And um, finally, his Buster Keaton it keeps picking up his glasses for him, and and then it he sees it says seven million dollars and everybody is excited and the lawyer goes but wait providing you are married by seven o'clock on the evening of your 27th birthday and and so the partner goes when's your birthday he looks at the calendar goes oh shit it's today so there's plenty of time and he's thinking well maybe mary plenty of time (laughs) i know I it's know. The day of. Yeah, he's like, yeah, you got plenty of time to get married today. <laughs> and maybe Mary will marry me. So he gets in the car, which was quite a fancy sports car at the time. And he goes to Mary's house. But this is, he, is this the, one of the great transitions of all time? Is this when he gets into the car and it just, and he's sitting there and then it just dissolves and he's there? Might be. Oh, I thought that was just, I rewound that again and it blew my mind in 2020. Like, I, was I like, am what trying to write great... down everything I can that's happening. It, it might so not I have been know. there, but I. Okay. He's talking to Mary's mother. Mary is in the garden and he, he goes to the garden and he practices proposing to her. And then I wrote, oh shit. He's going to mess this up. That's not what I'm most shitting. Oh. Mary's in the garden with a dark man oh, garden. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah, I knew it was I, I You did you called it. I was just like, man, it's nineteen twenty-five. There's Yeah. I'm a, and the whole reason but there are other people of color in it. Why couldn't he have been a person of color? Because do you wanna know why? Because of like be- because of racism, because of because this movie had to play everywhere. So the so feeling because this is more of a substantial role than just showing a person of color in a in a like a bit. No, because he, it, he had because a it, bigger role. Well, because you have to look at what was going like during silent film time. Like films weren't what they are now. They were they were looked down upon, and what is considered to be like the film industry now, like the high echelon, that's what vaudeville was. Vaudeville was the was the entertainment. Like people would go right. see vaudeville shows. 
vaudeville right. ruled and in vaudeville blackface black like well, the whole people th- were, all of it was raunchy yeah. Pe- yeah and people were in in blackface and they did black characters and they you know it was demeaning it was racist okay. i mean we also have to we can do a i'll bust in for a nerd alert right now this movie was made in 1925 the civil war was over in 1865 so that was 60 years so it's like us in 2020 looking back at things in 1960 you were alive in 1960 yeah i've you're, been doing a lot of that lately you're old enough to remember 1960 there are uh-huh. people when they were watching this film and in the vaudeville characters and all okay. of those yeah. okay. who were veterans of the civil war there were people who i mean people didn't care but there are people who their families had been slaves like this was stuff that was in the not too distant past this was grandparents and stuff where this it was a living history so you know and that's why it's very important to go into and look at what happened after the civil war and where we became what what the country became right and and what was allowed to let go and slide for the betterment of the union aka white people and right. honestly, like white feelings and stuff. So this this character, this hired hand, blackface, uh, Jim Crow, offensive character. It was called out like people. And that's the thing. People. We got into it when we did the, the Bing Crosby movie that was in 1940s and stuff. Holiday Inn. Yeah. People knew that this shit was wrong then. But it, they, it, it didn't it didn't matter. It didn't care. And I mean, the same shit's happening now. Exactly. Like, exactly. Read, I'm sorry to go off on a tangent, but like this com- one reformation is getting like clothing company, like getting called out all over social media. But like the, one of the people who was um, some higher up, I can't remember exactly what in 2016 posted a picture of her eating fried chicken and was like happy black history month and like she kept getting promoted like she got promoted since then to this position at this clothing you know like a fairly major clothing company who like stand on the platform of like being sustainable and we love the environment and shit like that so it's like you know that's wrong yes you know it so like the same you know but at the same time it's like for them like for us there's going to be people who they, they watch the movie and they're, they just go like, oh, well, that was the times. And they don't right. go look into like. And it wasn't just that was the times. It was that should they should have known that was wrong. And watching it even then, you should know it was not. And I'll bet there are people who would watch it and not even notice that that was a person in blackface. Yeah. Yeah. They, and and the the way like later, like just how he's acting and all of that. Yeah, and it's please. all done. Yes. It's all done to dehumanize and to be like those people. I'm talking like if I'm, you know, from like a white perspective, like those people are less than us. Right. So it's okay. And then that woman who was eating the fried chicken, she's like, well, I wasn't in blackface. What's the point? And we had a black president. Like, it's just a joke. Why why can't everybody just laugh? But it's it's these subtle things have been passed down, passed down, passed down. To, owe it, to keep reminding people, and it's not, you know, white people who are getting reminded, it's the, you know, black people, they keep getting reminded, exactly. oh, right. you are less than, you are, 
you know, and then that's, you know, they're not like paying attention to, to this movie, you know, like, or these, these kinds of things. Yeah. It's like, well, it's not for me. Like the AFI. I mean, I'll say like, I, cause I have never paid attention to like when movies are made. So, you know, like I definitely watch movies be like, oh, that's the time, you know, like I put putting it in perspective of like, oh, this is like people who are alive now, like who were alive in 1960, like that. Yes. Mm -hmm. Knowing that kind of correlation, like it's, it's in their perspective, I guess. It does indeed. And it, and it also shows of what was able to, what was tolerated and how it's, it's a very easy to be like, well, those were the times. And because it makes it, it makes it makes white people feel better because then it, oh, I can yeah. enjoy this film and I don't have to. But guess what? I don't get that luxury. So I right. just wanted to sit down and watch one of the great cinematic comedians of all time. I didn't pick his masterpiece, which was the general, because he's playing a Southern Confederate, and I'm watching Ken Burns' The Civil War, and I don't feel like watching um buster keaton as a confederate hero in a film this week ever but especially like this week not for me i i knew about the chase scene that comes at the end of this it sounds like a romantic comedy let me watch it i'm enjoying it i'm loving it and then this bullshit comes in like a wrecking ball being like oh yeah guess what yeah you're like you don't matter this is this is why yeah. FYI, while you're enjoying this, yeah, yeah. here it comes. Here, here yeah. it is. And now I have to like you know, sit there with that and go just back, be go to like, the back of the bus. Fuck, man. Like what the fuck? Like what That's has changed? What the fuck has changed? And then I gotta get all like all heated and then I have to like cool down and watch it again. And there's other people who they have this privilege of just getting to watch a great Buster Keaton comedy and be like, oh, it's the times. Yeah. Not for me. I don't get that. So I, I hope that you don't either now. Hopefully. Okay. So Mary, it, okay. Mary is in the garden with a dark man gardener and he, she hears Buster Keaton practicing his proposal to Mary. Mary, you're the only girl I ever loved. Will you marry me? And she says yes, and they kiss. And he checks what time it is. We'll get married today. And she's like, wait a minute. Why are we getting married today? I want my pretty wedding. My grandfather left me a lot of money, providing I marry some girl today. Which, like, there's totally a million ways he could have spun that. If Adam had been like, hey, you want to marry me? By the way, if we get married today... We get $100 million. I would have been like, hell yeah, let's do it. Hell yeah. Bingo. But, you know. Yeah, okay. Um, I just have to marry some girl. Yeah. Any girl. It could be any girl. As soon as you read the some girl, you're like, yeah. Jimmy. Yeah. yeah. yeah and on up. the title card, the some was underlined so that you knew that. And so he goes, wait, wait, wait. I don't mean some girl. I can marry any girl. I mean, it doesn't matter who I marry, but it must be someone. So Mary's like, uh, dude, really? You want to marry me? Or do you want to just marry anybody so that you can get the money? So she walks away and she's sad. And he gets in his car and he goes back to the office. And the mother is saying to Mary, he said he must wed someone and it might as well be me. <laughs> uh, and again, I'm going, 
Go ahead. So just I stop mean, it right her, now. Her mom was like, I mean, <laughs> yeah, her, her. You probably didn't mean it like that. Like, yeah, out of my house. Because I was like, damn, she lives in a really nice house. But I was like, oh, she lives at home. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which means she was. And her mom of, totally wanted her out of the house. Oh, she was like, exactly. Okay. She was a little older, and, and her, her mom was like, opportunities were drying up, as it were. And she was like, you got this big ass dog now in my house. <laughs> Have you seen the size of his dumps? I mean, really? You yeah. know what? Oh, my God. Adam and I were just walking Tommy, and some bitch <laughs> yelled out from her house. No, I'm just kidding. But somebody was like, we were walking by, and they were like, I don't know why anybody would want to have a dog who takes shits bigger than they do. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of funny. <laughs> I just looked at Adam, and I said, well, those people must have no joy in their life. <laughs> There you go. I don't, don't know. know the joy of a Tommy. I, I will. I'll put. There's some of mine that I will put up. Yeah, Name exactly. me a dog. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. Well, Jimmy's back. I don't know, in sometimes the... you need two hands for these. Sorry. Go on. <laughs> I mean. Well, I'm glad he's healthy. Yeah, but Eric. Okay, moving on. <laughs> Not going down that rabbit hole. Well, Jimmy's back in the office and he's dejected. Now they have the old timey telephone. That looks like a daffodil, you my, know. And my it, dad and had so, one. Still does, I think. Yeah, somewhere. And the receiver is a little up, so that Mary Mary's trying to call him to say, "Hey, I get it. I want to marry you. Let's go ahead." And so she only hears what's happening in the stockbroker office because but he, he can't. Yeah, because he pushed. Because they they went and they did a close up on it. Because I'm like, why are they doing a close yeah, up? Yeah, did they push his hat onto it or something? Well, he pushed it, and on those phones, the cradle, like to hang it up. The when the phone went in the cradle, that's what hung it up. The weight of that. So when exactly. he pushed it, something made the the earpiece go up. So then the cradle went up. So then that's why. The phone wasn't ringing. It was on the hook and why she could hear, but they couldn't hear her. It was, mm. you know what I mean? Right, right. So she hears the conversation and Buster Keaton saying, I couldn't marry another girl. And the lawyer saying, but you'll lose your fortune and I'm going to lose my part of it. Yeah, my I don't want the money. It has already cost me the only girl I ever loved. And she's hearing this. So she's trying to get him to hear her. She's yelling into the phone. So then she writes a note. Don't you dare marry anybody else. P.S. I think you'll be, I'll be home all day. <laughs> I love that note. And she has very nice handwriting. Excellent. So she mentioned. gives the note to aforementioned oh. gardener to take to Jimmy. And she says, go as fast as you can. So, of course, he's on the slowest horse possible. He's got his shoes half on. Well, does he even? Because there was, he's doing a weird fucked up thing with his shoes. Like, it seems like like maybe he even has his shoes on the wrong feet. It's Probably. just real, just, it's just real, 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 yeah. real fucked up. It was real bad. Okay. okay. I got about horses. Um, did you guys see the story of the horse that, uh, ran his, he was a police horse and he ran the officer riding him straight into a light, a uh, street light. No, no. Oh my God, it's great. And then he ran away. Then the horse ran away. Oh, I love it. 
I mean, it was because the protester had thrown a bicycle at him, but he was like, fuck this, I'm out. I didn't agree exactly. with any of this protest, and I don't agree with what you cops are standing for. You guys can deal with this, I'm out. I mean, it was like a movie. Like, the guy hit the bottom of the thing and, like, flew all the way off the horse, and the horse is gone. Oh, wow. wow. Sorry. No, okay, so the, the partner is saying... Uh, we will lose our reputation, our friends, even our liberty, unless you marry. You must save us. Okay? And so um, so now it's time for Buster Keaton to find anybody to marry to save his firm, his stockbroker firm. Because yeah, from disgrace. Um, there's a little girl who, uh, a little girl pops up from the couch, much like, much like Scarlett does when, no, much like Rhett does when Scarlett and Alice oh, Ashley that's who are she is. Yeah. Anyway, he, they go to a, I assume it's a hotel. I thought it was the back to the country club. Oh, okay. Okay. But I don't know. I, you and, know, my recollection here is a bit hazy. Oh, yeah, I think it was the country club. Yeah, Erin doesn't know about country clubs. Okay, so the camera pans the restaurant, and they're writing down names of seven women he knows in the restaurant. But they're calling the women girls, of course. Yes. Um, and so he goes in and says to number one, will you marry me? And she laughs, and he leaves an embarrassment. So we go through seven I'm not going to go through what happens with each one because it's funny and it's shtick and such. And so um, finally, everybody has has like, you know, laughed at him and said, ain't no way I'm marrying you, which, okay. And then the partner goes, don't worry, meet me at the church at five o'clock. I will have a bride for you. And uh, the lawyer says to Buster Keaton, oh, by the way, I think you should have one, too, in case your your partner doesn't come up with one. Okay, we see uh, he goes to the switchboard girl. She's already engaged. He goes to the hat check girl. She's already seen him messing up several times. And I she's love like, the switchboard girl. Yeah, ain't no way. Mm-hmm. Another woman has a baby in her lap. Yeah. And so... Um, he asks the woman if anyone would marry him. And yes, he walks past all the other women that were laughing at him. It turns out that this girl who said she'd marry him was the young girl who had come up from the couch with, uh, uh, she pretended to be grown up. Okay. Yeah, he was the about gardener to marry, holds. And the, the, the mom comes out and is like, well, where are you going? He doesn't say about this. Like, Sally, what are you doing? She's 13. And he's like, what? No, because he thought that. He thought, ah, I got it. I finally got finally one. Finally got one. Yeah. And it's like, oh, she's I'm 13? Surpri- well, if the mother knew, she would have had that 13-year-old. Oh, if it had just been, they had just waited a bit for the well, the afternoon edition to come out. Oh, yeah. The mother oh, wouldn't yeah. have said anything. Okay, so the gardener is slowly riding a horse, and they come to an intersection. So he gets off the horse, and he holds up a sign and it's supposed to say stop for Buster Keaton, but it's the ghost. It was horrible. Um, he's in a car. He proposes to another woman in a car. He's at a bus stop. She doesn't speak English. She's holding up a Russian paper. 
of course, there was a black woman who he's proposing to. And then he looks at her and it's like, oh, my God, I didn't mean it. Uh, there's a woman getting her hair cut. Only it wasn't a woman. It was a mannequin. Um, he goes to the stage entrance of a um, of a show. And there's a billboard that says Julian at Tinge. And Julian Atinge is a female impersonator. He comes out beaten up. Then we see a newspaper, a newspaper building, and an ad there that says anybody who, uh, the whoever's the first one there at five o'clock is the winner. You get to marry this dude. Did they? Did the? Did the advertisement say you'll be rich? Anything about the money? I think so. Yeah, I think it, it, it must have. Yeah, or not that many people would have showed up. Uh, exactly. Yeah, they, I mean they knew it. They 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 didn't bury the lead on that. Mm-mm. And then uh, a title card Which, comes like, up. Well, you he buried the lead every time he talked to a woman in person. So yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> A title card comes up that says he proposed to everything in skirts, including a Scotsman. But not a black woman. Not a black woman. He goes to the church. He has flowers. There's no one there. He sits to wait. He checks. He has the license. He has the ring. He has a ticket to Niagara Falls and a ticket to Reno. I didn't understand that part. I think maybe Reno is... Maybe at that time, Reno was what Las Vegas is now. Okay. Because he sticks the re- one of the tickets in the flowers that he brought and the other in his pocket. He falls asleep on the church pew. Well, we see Sideways women... on the church pew. So you, if you come into the church, you wouldn't see him. Right. We see women racing to the church. Oh. I mean, how many were there? That was funny. Like 500? Yeah. Every so we... woman? Yeah. Um, They're pushing and shoving. We have the gardener, the lawyer, the partner show up, a gazillion women. He wakes up and he goes, why are all these people here? He sees the ad. Um, There's a lot of pushing going on because everybody wants to get to him. And the minister shows up and say, ladies, you're victims of a practical joke. Leave the church. They start yelling at him. Um, Buster Keaton tries to escape. So the gardener is trying to come in a window that Buster Keaton's trying to go out. And because remember, the gardener has the note of Mary's that says, Yes, I'll marry you. Mm-hmm. So they crawl into a basement window to avoid the gazillion women. The gardener finally gives Jimmy Mary's note. So now Jimmy's trying to get back to Mary before seven o'clock. Yeah, he has to get to Mary so that he can marry Mary before seven o'clock. One woman is getting her shoes polished. She has a watch on her ankle. There is not a watch band big enough (laughs) to go around my ankle. It is 6.15. He's walking to Mary's house, but the women are following him and they uh there's a dude making a brick wall and they all take the bricks away because they're going to throw them at him 
Which, why um, are you gonna throw bricks at him? Okay, I was like, why? And like, you're gonna kill him, and then he's not gonna be able to marry any of you. But it's a, vi- it's the visual gag of this guy who's doing the brick, and then the mob, and the wall's gone. Yeah. So the poor, the poor bricklayer. <laughs> yeah. The partner and the lawyer are together. Somehow he says, "Bring the minister to Mary's house," and. Uh, the chase continues, and it is a long chase. I mean, this is um, why I picked the movie because it's Buster Keaton Buster trying Keaton. to outrun these gazillion women who are now pissed at him, and so they would rather kill him than allow him to marry somebody else. Mm-hmm. Six forty-five, we see Mary's house. The chase continues, and we have the rock avalanche. <laughs> It's hilarious. <laughs> well, even before that, there was a whole bit with the the women at the train. Well, that's again, that's me. Yeah, yeah I mean, the chase is the what half of the movie is the chase. Yeah, at least yeah. twenty five minutes. Yeah. Um, okay, so finally he gets to Mary's house at like six fifty, and his coat gets caught in the gate, <laughs> and he finally just drags <laughs> the the picket fence into the house it is 703 and he is too late mm. i'm gonna stop it there i'm not gonna go to the end wow i think that our listeners should watch it for themselves if they choose and see what happens hmm. nice if anyone has an objection, they can tell the listeners what I am not saying. No, no objections here. The Rock Avalanche is worth the hour watching the movie. We all needed a drink. Okay, so um, we are to the POC count. Uh, a true POC, not blackface POC, please. Okay, so there was a, a visual site with the black guy in the suit. I believe there's a Jewish woman because she was reading a newspaper and I, she like unfolds it and I think that was Hebrew. Me. So, oh, I thought it was Russian. Okay. Oh, I oh may I don't know. I apologize. I took it, it as just the being point that, was she didn't speak English. So the she point was she was an before. other. Is the point is that well, she there was you an go. Other. Well done. Yeah. Um. There was a black woman walking down the street. In the church, there's a black woman who puts her, her fist in his face, which cracked me up so hard. And there's the shoe shine. So I have five people of color. But, you know, you have the glaring, like, huge. Like, those We're are legitimate people of color. Yeah, five. Right. Le- like, legitimate. Should have been okay. six. Because they really didn't need... There was no reason not to have a person to play that role. They just no reason. They just did it because they were pandering to their racist audience. Yeah. Okay. Nerd alerts that have not already been stated. Do you guys want to go first? Because you know I got me some nerd alerts. I don't got none. I don't have any. All right. So again, okay. It was released in. 1925 so march so i was kind of doing things that went up to 1925 and then whatever um the capital of norway went back to its original name of oslo huh. hmm? the new yorker magazine started oh wow 
Tennessee Governor Austin P. signs the Butler Act, which prohibited teaching of evolution in state's public schools, hmm. which then led to the Scopes trial. And oh that is God. all covered in Inherit the Wind. When I was in college in Moorhead, Moorhead State, Kentucky, we would play Austin P. as a, you know, basketball, football. I didn't know he had such a great legacy. Which I didn't do any. This is strictly off the dome here. I, I haven't done any scholarly research to back up any of this. But it just seems to me that if you, it's just, you know, when you're being racist and you want to put down black people and dehumanize them, there is an animal that everyone not everyone, but, you know, like, racist people say, like, oh, they're this animal. I think we all know what that is. Um, and then, you know, you have people like Darwin and scientists coming in and saying, hey, guess what, everyone? We're all descended from them. Right. So I think that, that people like to hide behind the, the Bible and saying that, well, the teaching of evolution, it goes against what the Bible said. I think that it goes, it's more to do with racism and that oh, yeah. you did not want to be, yeah. you know. I was not, de- no, I, I not couldn't come have from come from this. The same animal oh, that they came from. No. Ain't no way. Yeah. Yeah. How could anyone not believe, I'm sorry, well, that's another. Well, <laughs> wait. <laughs> I mean, it, it went pretty far. It was a big trial. Yeah, and true. That was in 1925, so it wasn't that long ago. Um, Calvin Coolidge was the president. And then I was looking up stuff, and in 1925, I think this happened after this movie came out, but it was still in 1925. There's a Dr. Osayan. I could be pronouncing his name wrong. It's O-S-S-I-A-N. His last name is Sweet, and he's a medical doctor. When he was five years old in 1900, he watched, a, he was in behind bushes, you know, you're a kid, you're outside, and he saw a black man burned at the stake. He's black himself. So you're five years old, you mm. see a black man burned alive at five. Mm. He witnessed race riots during the 1919 Red Summer, which is a thing. Look it up. I think we already, we like, I'm sure I mentioned the Red Summer on this podcast. But returning soldiers who fought for their country during World War I, black soldiers, they came back to a country that didn't welcome them back with a hero's welcome. They were like, hey, here's a flag. Look at you. You're a hero. That's not what happened. In fact, White people saw what the the wealth that these black people had amassed on their own and were like, nope, we can't have that. And so, and black soldiers had come back with a new sense of independence, a new sense of self-worth because I'd been over here fighting for the American flag over in Europe, came back victorious, like feeling great about themselves. So when people were like, no, you can't have this, it didn't go over well. And it was like, nah, man, nah, I'm sick of this shit. I'm fighting back. Because again, 60, 1865 was when the Civil War ended. Right. We're talking about 1925 here. So that's the equivalent of all these young kids and people now who are like, I saw this stuff in school in 1860. 
I saw dogs and water hoses turned on black people. Nah, man. 1960, yeah. Yeah, 1960. Nah, man. That was 60 years ago. Nah, man. Nah. Fuck yeah. this shit. Right. And they ended up getting a lot of them lynched, like neighborhoods yeah. burned, businesses destroyed. Um, and in that time, like during World War One, because a lot, you know, a lot of men were overseas. Private citizens who were left behind by private citizens, like white men, they were deputized in order to help ID German citizens. So they now had like a, like a sense of law enforcement. So it it blurred the lines between soldier, police officer, and citizen. So this guy, Ocean Sweet. He wanted to move... Okay, so he was in D.C. He went to Howard University. And during 1919, the race riots, he saw a white mob pull a black man from a streetcar onto the sidewalk and beat him senseless. And Ocean was like, I'm going to stay inside my frat house now. These streets is wicked. He moved to Detroit because Detroit, northern city, it was popping. There's a lot of black people. The, the northern migration, like people were like, I gotta get the fuck out of the south right now. And at that point, Detroit, lots of jobs because cars are starting right. to become a thing. So there's plenty of opportunity. There's the auto industry. Lots of blacks move there. So you can imagine that a lot of whites were not too happy about that. The KKK had 100,000 members in Detroit. That's a northern city. Jesus. So, you know, they're like, oh, it's the north. No, no, 100,000 members in Detroit. They even ran a candidate for mayor in 1924 and 1925. He almost won as a write-in candidate. From 1923 to 1925, the Detroit police killed 55 black people. I think yeah. if you extrapolate that with uh, po- population and how it, it, it tracks. So Dr. Ossian, he moved into, with his family, into a white neighborhood. And at that time, like in a lot of places, you know, white housing like neighborhoods would get together and they would form housing alliances and there would be rules and they used the law to make it so that black people couldn't come into their neighborhood because to them black people are not the same as them dehumanizing my my house value is gonna go down at least half they're not like us is what they're saying they're gonna have a washing machine on the front porch Seven cars in the yard. It's, it's unbelievable. So they moved in. They're like, no, nah, man, like, I, got, I am a medical doctor. I am moving into this neighborhood. So the white mob, they, the first night, it was kind of okay. The second night, and meanwhile, like his, his family was like, yo, you, man, all right. So the, there was like, you know, brothers and sisters and stuff. They were coming because they were worried about the family, you know, in this white neighborhood. They're moving in. The second night, big mob of white people and stuff just relentlessly throwing rocks at the house. And the cops come and they just, they just, they're there. They just stand and watch. They're not really doing anything. And then a shot comes from inside the house. Ocean's brother shoots a shot out. And of course, the bullet happens to strike and kill a white man. And as soon as that happens, 
All 11 people who are in the house are arrested. They're denied bail and they're all set on trial for murder. And you're like, oh my gosh. But then AACP hears of it. And luckily, it's <laughs> instead of sadly like, oh, it's the justice. This is like the, the, the miracle of this story is that Ocean had a hung jury and it ended in a mistrial. Wow. And how sad is that? That we're all like, oh, wow. Yay. Yay, Yay. You know, so it's just an illustration of no northern, you know, like it's easy to vilify the south and stuff. But there when you think of the slaves trying to escape slavery and crossing the Mason Dixon line, that was supposed to be like they were free. And then you have Detroit. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, no. no and there wasn't it, even it, that. I mean, I'm watching in the Ken Burge documentary, like the Civil War and stuff. You know, there were a lot of Union soldiers who were like, no, no, man, I'm out. Like, I'm, I'm not I'm not fighting for this. There were the New York City wanted to become its own thing because there were so many New Yorkers who were like, oh, really? Like we have what? Huh? What? No. So there's a lot of people who are like, yeah, slavery is wrong, but then it comes into the thing of of, but how do you feel about like, is there equality? Like, yes. do you think like, of them as the same? A black yeah. neighbor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, how would you feel about a black person dating your son or daughter? Mm-hmm. Ask and how many people like ask the same question today, and you're like, well, yeah. why? So, yeah, those were. Oh, sorry. I have more nerd alerts. That oh was my God. that was just like 1925. Because, you know, I like to paint the picture of the times. And then I'm like, in some cases, how much has changed? Um. Oh, the original ending, Buster Keaton just had it fading out during the chase scene. But he noticed that preview audiences laughed when he was on the side of the hill and he pulled one rock and then like two came down. That got the biggest laugh of the entire film. Yeah. So yeah. then he had 150 boulders made out of chicken wire and paper mache. And Which with- also made me laugh that they were made out of paper mache. Yeah. yeah. You can totally tell. Various rocks oh, and yeah. stuff up you to eight totally feet tell. tall. I've made plenty of paper mache out of chicken wire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The opening scenes were shot in a very early version of Technicolor. That's why they look the I way they look. Like it's there super was. rare. Mm-hmm. Um, well, this is a nerd alert that kind of goes back to how we opened the podcast. 80% of silent films with all black casts are gone. They've been lost. Yeah, and who cared? Be- yeah, nobody. because nobody cared. So when we have like this AFI list, it's not that there weren't works out there. It's just that n- nobody cared to preserve them. They were obviously inferior. That's what that's what the saying is. That's that's how I take it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't take it as that they are. I take it as that's what they want that's me to what think. We thought. Yeah. Um, the filmmaker Peter Bogdanovich this year, he came out with a documentary that you can rent from Amazon and other places called The Great Buster Colon, a celebration, which is a documentary celebrating Buster Keaton. Ah, Orson Welles loved 
Buster Keaton. Wow. Thought he was a genius. Um... In 1928, Buster Keaton signed with MGM, and he signed with MGM, but he kind of, there was, like, some shady stuff that went on with, um, Schneck, Senek, Shank. Shank. Okay, because remember that Shank was married to, that they were married to the sisters. Mm-hmm. And Buster Keaton's relationship with his wife did not end well, and he was, it wasn't going well. Also, Buster Keaton's father was an alcoholic, and Buster Keaton was known to hit the sauce pretty hard himself, was known to date other women and such. So I think that Shank sold his contract to MGM. It wasn't like Buster Keaton wanted to leave and go to MGM, but he ended up, he had to sign there and that basically took away his independence and he was never the same because he used to just come up with these gags. It was just very independent. He wouldn't, he would just have the writers that he worked with. And now in the MGM studio system, he is in a room, there's 17 writers and he's just like, just let me do what I do. Right. You know, like just let me, just let me shine. So he thanks, didn't MGM. end well. His end was not good. Um, he he um figured out a lot of stuff like with when he first went with Fatty Arbuckle, he has to take a camera home at night, and he took the camera apart because he wanted to know exactly how it worked. So he took the camera apart and then he put it back together, and he knew the insides and outs of the camera. And he was a, then he's like, okay, well, then this is possible and this is possible. Exactly. So, again, if you want to know how to change something or fix something, you got to know how it's made. Right. You got to take it apart to put it back together again. He was a genius. Mm-hmm. Okay. And in 1995, L.A. Times story by Kenneth Turan. Oh, it's funny you say he was a genius because he never thought he was a genius, according to his widow. He was always like... Um, Well, he was very shy and he was because he didn't have he only went to school like half a day for his entire life because he was raised on the vaudeville circuit and he learned to read from his read and write from his mom. So he always felt an inferiority complex regarding that. So to him, you know, geniuses were people who went to school and they were scholarly and stuff like he never saw himself as a genius. Um, 1995 LA Times story by Kenneth Turan. It was written on the occasion of the 100th anniversary of Buster Keaton's birth. And I thought that this like, kind of summed it up because this was always what drew me to Buster Keaton. Quote, no matter what happened to Buster's character and extreme scenarios were his specialty. He never got over emotional about things, never rolled his eyes or pleaded for the audience's sympathy. Rather like a comic philosopher of despair, he accepted the world and his lot in it and tried to make the best of an increasingly preposterous situation. Because that's, I always just love how these things just escalate. And even in the chase scene and stuff, he's just. Yeah. Yeah. This now. And then when he realizes that the time is up and um, he. Like Mary goes, well, we don't need the money. We can get married. And he's going, but I'm going to drag you down with me because I'm going to have to go to prison and we're going to be bankrupt. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
So we are to reheatables. Mm -hmm. My Christine, have you some reheatables? Look, I didn't do my homework like that this week. You don't have to have fine. I just am winging it. I don't have any. um, I have MVP and LVP. There we go. I think I stand stand with you guys and the the bad reheatables. Exactly, because you're going to totally agree with me. Uh, first off, I, you know, the uh, the lawyer's makeup, I believe, Christine, help me out, was that pancake makeup on him? Because it was really bad. Okay, and the lipstick on the men was so noticeable. Yes. Yeah, they would yes. do that. But that's also, like, the pancake makeup is white face. Like they yeah. would add, yes, to make you they be make more him white, look even yeah. whiter than a white person is. And so, a yeah. lot of that is again that uh, th- this film is in its infancy stage, and okay. a lot of the stuff that we're seeing is stuff for coming from vaudeville into mm. so, like, okay. the, the makeups okay. because st- it's so overdone. I mean, I don't even but on I think film. It, in the times we would that we would be used to seeing that makeup from okay. when we went to to see vaudeville shows yeah it doesn't okay. age well it's a bad reheatable blackface is totally bad reheatable yeah um how the how the blackface dude had to be so slow was so ter- stereotypical his shoes had to be half off yeah. um and all those women were dwelling to race to be able to marry this dude? Yeah, come on. I mean, come on. Nobody's that desperate. Seven million dollars a lot of money. Seven million dollars is a lot of money. It was a lot of money. Okay, those were my negatives that I chose to write down. Okay, of course. I have blackface and Jim Crow caricature. Um, I have that... Mary's mother telling her that she's made a mistake like on one hand if you're looking at the money yeah but on the other hand Mary and this is spoiling my good reheatable Mary had like self-worth and was like excuse me you want to just marry somebody and mother's going yeah you are over 30 time to get (laughs) out of here Uh uh-huh um the title and he proposed to everything in a skirt uh even a Scotsman but he didn't propose to the black woman on the exactly. sidewalk. I mean, he even proposed to it. But then I read, well, at that time, it would have been illegal for him to marry well, a black true. woman. Well, there was like really no point in him doing it. But also, he had proposed to a Scotsman. That right. would have been illegal. Because he couldn't have, have proposed to a a black woman until 1967. Well, no. In Loving California... In California, in 1948, the California Supreme Court struck down misinjugation. Remember, I can't say that word. Misinjugation laws. Yeah. Um, Misinjugation. Yeah. I can't say it because I, on a cellular level, I'm so opposed to it. Exactly. Um, There's a reason why you can't speak it. But I believe they were the first state in the union. So, 1948. All right. So we just needed to move to Virginia. I mean, to California. California. Um, okay, also, they're always first in everything. I have the... Yeah, it's, 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 it's a nice state. Um, newspapers. How 
like that day in the interview, like half the day had already gone by. Yeah. They put the new, they put it into the newspaper for, I'm assuming the afternoon edition, because that was a thing. There was. So there would be the and afternoon. In Cincinnati, ed- when I grew up, there was a morning edition, the Cincinnati Inquirer. There was an afternoon edition, the Cincinnati Evening Post. Maybe, but I don't know. So I just thought- we got the afternoon edition, which I think was the Democrat. I think Inquirer was Republican. I think. Well, I don't know. That's something I need to look up. Well, those were my bad re. Well, it's just a bad reheatable in that. Um, just now, how news is just more instantaneous. Yes. Yeah. yeah, in your face, whether you want to see it or not. Uh, good reheatables. Uh, physical comedy was amazing. Mm. And the dogs. Yeah. Yeah. Those are your good ones? Yes. You have other good ones? Yeah. I already mentioned the car transition when he gets into the car and then he, he holds it because all of like, they don't have all the special effects that you see are done in camera. So that's right. There were no multi. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, like they're having to go in, they're having to set, they're having to precision. All right. Where was the camera? It was exactly here. Like, mm-hmm. And they, like they nail, it's so impressive to be like 1925. You did that. That's impressive. Like it would be hard. That would be hard to do to even today. When he's proposing to the woman in the other car, you know, I mean, the synchronization um, but I'm specifically saying what the, the transitions of getting him from point A to point B, he gets in the car and then it dissolves around him and he's in the new place. Oh, and yeah. gets out of the and car then he's in, all in one locker. shot. Okay. That's yeah. fantastic. Okay. Um, I haven't used like, like Mary's self-worth. I thought when the, when the ladies during the chase thought that they killed him because they, (laughs) he was on that crane thing and they, and they were like arguing over how to do it and they drops and they're, and they're just like, well, we killed him. You just killed him. All right. Um, the underage girl bit, I, I thought that that still worked because she wanted to obviously leave town. Like, it yeah. wasn't him being a creep. It was, like, her being like, I'll marry you. Yeah, let's yeah, go. I'm in. Yeah, I'm going to be rich. I already said I like when the black woman put her fist in his face at the at the wedding chapel. She just came out of nowhere and just sticking her fist in there. I was like, you get him for that stupid blackface guy you have in your film. Um. Yeah, and I said, like, the timing of everything, how he was just, just all the bits yeah, and the it gags was amazing. the timing. I mean, that's... The timing of that rock avalanche, unbefreakingly. Oh, just his stunts and his just fearlessness. Like when he he does all his stunts, all his own stunts. So it's not a stunt double. And like when that scene where there's the guy with the alarm clock and the it goes yes. off and he throws it out and it comes out the window and it hits him and he just yes. like goes up and lands and you're like that had to hurt so bad yeah but he if you look at it he i think he breaks his fall with his foot but it lands just before his back um I, I, because he did not his his end of life wasn't great um, but I wonder if all those stunts he did, he had to, he had to be on a lot of painkillers. Well, like yeah. you said, so when he was in, 
so as a baby, like he joined the, the <laughs> yeah, I know you're laughing. I get the joke. He, when he was three years old and he joins his parents thing, like their bit was he was a bad kid and his dad would get mad at him because he was being such a bad kid. And he had a suitcase handle that was secretly sewn into his clothes. And so his dad would grab the suitcase handle that the audience didn't see and toss him into like scenery, the orchestra pit, even the audience. And he, when he first, because he learned how to fall without like um, causing bruises and stuff. He learned at an early age that you fall limp but you break your fall with either like your your hand or this your leg like your or something. I know. And so he would like the police would come because people because he was dubbed. I had it in my tasty nuggets. He was dubbed like the most dangerous, the little boy who couldn't be damaged. And the oh show was like God. the most dangerous show. So people would come in and see this. And then, you know, there would be women who are like they're abusing that boy. So then the police would come and he would have to show, like, look, there's no bruises on me. <laughs> and it's just, and so he used to love it, though. He used to love flying through the air, and he would yeah. be laughing, and he noticed that the audience didn't laugh as much when he was laughing. And that's how he developed the stone <gasps> the face. The straight face. The straight face, because <sighs> they would bust up laughing more when he had the straight face, right? Yeah. But then later on in his life, somebody he was doing something, and they're like, "How do you like keep doing like those falls and not get hurt, do bruises?" And then he would be like, "Oh no, it does hurt." And he would like lift up his shirt, and it was all yeah. bruised. Yeah. So I don't know because, again, his father was an alcoholic, so it definitely ran in his family. And you, but you do just kind of wonder like how much of that pain because when he there's this scene where in this where he's running and he dives into the like lake thing and yeah he, it looks like he just it, the way he lands looks all kinds of messed up all kinds of awkward in steamboat bill jr he found out that he broke his neck but he didn't find out about that until a long time later wow. on a stunt so he, he probably had such a high pain threshold plus he was just super athletic the show must go on and just like just running down like that's the scene where he just like at one point he just throws himself down with the bowlers right stuff and you're right like even if they're paper mache that's still a real pretty hard because one of them hits him at one point well it bounces off i'm talking about when he like throws himself over the cliff and is falling down yes like that's real yes yeah. Do you have where that was filmed? Because it looked to me like there was some point that looked kind of Malibu-ish. Probably. I mean, it was shot in, in Los Angeles. Okay. Uh, are those all your positives? Mm-hmm. Okay. So we are to quotables. And because it's a silent film, I really didn't have a quotable. Well, okay. I have one. You guys okay. might not know that this is my first silent film I've ever watched. Ever? Wow. I'm so happy to have like you in our full film. feature silent film. Yeah. So I was like, oh, well, I guess there's not going to be any quotables. But I had two. <gasps> Drink. Maybe Drink. Mary might marry me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
That's so fun to say. And I don't want the money. It already has cost me the only girl I ever wanted. Yes, oh. that's true. See, a long time ago when we did, when Aaron and I did a silent film, I made it a huge faux pas by saying, was there a script? Because, I mean, they didn't have yeah. real lines to say. And Aaron, you know, kind of like... Um, uh, you idiot. Yeah, I, I was say totally like stupid bashed. I did um, stupid bash. <laughs> And so um, I scoffed. I, I just let that go. But yes, I like that one. Well, my quotable reheatable is who bats next? Because when, he, he when he's in the country club and he just walks up to the, the lawyer and his partner and he's just like, who bats next? Yeah, that's right. That was a good one. That was a good one. I need to be more focused Okay, moving on to MVLVPs. We do LVPs first, correct? Oh. Hi, Becky. Oh, Teeny, do I, you have LVP? I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Becky, right behind you. Um, yeah. Uh, my LVP was this loser not saying he loved her for like, a whole year. A whole like, year. A whole thing could have been avoided. Exactly. You could say you you don't have to propose. And also the dates he took her. Because, like, they were clearly dating, it seemed like. Or whatever. And, like, they literally would just stand in her yard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, at the fence. Yeah. He they had no whole game. year standing at their yeah. fence. No game. No, no game. He was a little wimp. Okay. Uh, my LVP is, of course, the blackface. Yes. Well, and Aaron? My LVP is white supremacy. There you I, go. Yeah, I put blackface on mine, and then I just went with something else. I know, because it's just I mean, it was, exhausting. It is, it is, but it, it's, yeah, it's like blackface, but it, it's, I'm, yeah. I'm going with the disease of white supremacy. Well done. Yeah. So now we're the MVPs. Mm -hmm. Teeny, what is your MVP? Adam, get Teeny another drink, damn it. My MVP is, well, at first it was Mary's house and dog, but then I realized it wasn't her house. Yeah, it was Mama's house. So, scratch that. But my MVP was the title cards because oh. I had never watched a silent film. And I was like, this thing's going to be so boring. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed it. And I was like, oh, wow, like you really can tell. And it did feel much more modern. And I guess that speaks to Buster Keaton. But like, I really could tell like what, like how they were saying things and exactly. like the situation and the underlining and like, who, who knew? Who knew? Who knew? Not, Not until you joined Gone with the Bushes. Uh, the I love it. Film, uh, the oldest film I've ever seen. Yes, I'll bet. Yeah, Aaron brought, brought this to into my life and so my maybe MVP, these, i mean maybe these title cards are not as good as other title cards out there but i don't have anything to compare it to so yeah i thought they were great uh my mvp is the rock avalanche uh my runner-up is the dogs <laughs> Aaron, my honorable mention is alcohol and genetics because buster keaton <laughs> 
Um, and and like you know, Buster Keaton. But my my MVP is the final chase scene because that's why that's why yeah. I wanted to pick this film. Oh my god! My yeah. favorite scene was when they were all all the ladies were um, like they showed the lady on the bicycle and then the one girl rollerblading yeah. and then that was good. roller skates. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all the different modes of transportation. Okay, uh, we are to recasting. I have two. Oh, you know I didn't do that. Uh, I just fine. Have, I just have one. Because I thought it might be kind of difficult, but as I was watching it, I thought, who in today's age could do this without, without words? You know, convey mm-hmm. the silliness and the awkwardness. Okay, so I oh, did I have a good one. I'm sorry. Go on. Okay, go ahead. No, go. What is it? Tiffany Haddish would be so good in a silent film. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. So I did Jimmy. I did the partner. I did the lawyer. I did Mary. Mm-hmm. Which I felt was like overextending myself. <laughs> so for my for my first character, um, my Mary is Janine Garofalo. Uh, (laughs) yeah because the facial expression is everything so my lawyer is billy crystal (laughs) yeah you'd be a good lawyer my partner is steve martin yeah because he's desperate to get this money and my jimmy is will ferrell yeah that's a good one he'd be good who was your Jimmy that you came up with? My Jimmy was Will Ferrell. No, Christine. She was like, oh, oh. No. nobody. I don't know. Oh. I just was, I just thought that was just a, in the moment. I think Tiffany Haddish would be good in a silent oh, film. Oh, yes. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Well, we could even do a female version and have I her be. Yeah, yeah, I could see her totally doing that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Facial expressions are everything. Facial expressions, yeah. But not too, so, but not too over the the top, because that was what he was great with. Like he, they they call him the great stone face. But when you're watching him, you still see facial expressions. Just a touch. Yeah, it's just that subtlety. Yeah. Okay, my people of color cast. My Mary. Yvonne Orgy. Oh man. Our HBO. It was so funny She's, after you said you just watched her I comedy I just watched special. it. I loved it. I really? loved it. I thought it was that so funny. when I hang funny. up with you guys. Okay, so my lawyer is Cedric the Entertainer. Mm-hmm. My partner is Chris Rock. Mm-hmm. And my Jimmy is Kevin Hart. Because <laughs> he can just do all the physical stuff. Yeah, that is funny. Okay, yours? Mine, I went with, um, I guess, I mean, with the exception of who I cast as my lead character, I went with a, a black cast of the times. Of the times. Yeah. So, um, with everybody except for the, in the supporting roles for the lawyer the partner and Mary we're gonna it's I basically recast the cast of Hallelujah so for Mary I had Nina Mae McKinney okay Mm -hmm. the lawyer I gender swapped and put Victoria Spivey as the role of the lawyer 
Okay. And hallelujah, that was made in 1929. So yes, yes. You know, we 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 could have had this. Um, T. Roy Barnes, I put as Daniel L. Hayes because remember he was the tall guy in Hallelujah, so he yeah. could do easily. And then for Jimmy, unfortunately, he wasn't around at this time. But with no blackface, I put in the biggest star apparently at the time that no one's ever heard of, Burt Williams. Burt Williams. What could have been, man? All the all the great things that we had, just got just didn't. I mean, yeah. you know what else? You know what? Just off the dome right now occurred to me because you're talking about physical comedy and all of that. The Nicholas Brothers. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. Like them doing the Nicholas Brothers with just the all boulders the, coming down. They could be jumping just over, dancing, them. just doing crazy dance moves yeah. and stuff as yeah. like they're doing a whole choreographed dance thing. Because yeah. what was that movie, Stormy Weather, that the Nicholas Brothers? Yeah, do? I think it was. I, go watch that. It's on YouTube. The things that these guys do is just, un- just Google Nicholas Brothers. Unbelievably yeah. athletic. Yes. They also had rhythm and timing. Okay, we're to Tasty Nuggets. Okay. Christine, do you have any Tasty Nuggets? Nope. You're good. Okay. um, Julian Eltinger Mm -hmm. was a famous female impersonator of the time. So when that trunk, trunk moved and said the name of the... Because at first he thought it was a female in there, and then he realized, okay. And that whole joke is because this guy, he was so famous as a female impersonator that they just needed to move the trunk and see his name, and everybody knew it. Everybody got it. At one point, he was like one of the highest paid actors at the time as a female impersonator. But it was also really weird because... He was super good at it, but then off stage he had this whole super butch persona because you know, it was like the ni- 1925s and stuff. So right. he had to be like, "No, I'm actually I'm actually a really manly man. It's just manly how man. great at acting I am." But, I have five women a night. Yeah, no. but he got his start um his mom like he was always kind of into it and would dress up and his mom didn't discourage it she was like yeah here you go like you're really good at it but wow. then his dad found out about it oh, yeah. and then he had to go live with his sister but he kept doing it and it, yeah that's one of those names that you, nobody even knows about and that's right. how that's how famous and big he was in 1925 that you could just have that. It, it's the equivalent of just having RuPaul there and you move right. the trunk and it says RuPaul and we all instantly are like, oh right. my gosh, exactly. we get it. The, the avalanche scene was actually an accident because he was like going up he was going up a hill and some rocks came at him and he thought, wow, this would be a great gag, Mm -hmm. which is the best gag in the whole film. So he had the paper mache rocks made. And that's how he worked. It was a lot of like, like they would make films and come up with gags by the seat of their pants. So that's why when he went to MGM and the studio system doesn't work like that, that that was the end of Buster Keaton's heyday. And, and like, again, Look, in this case, look what we got cheated out of. Right. 
Okay, this was Buster Keaton's least favorite movie. Mm-hmm. He owed money to Joseph Schenck, and so he had to do it. His brother-in-law. Yeah, but he wasn't thrilled about doing it at all. And the and he always thought that the chase scene was the thing that saved it. Uh, especially the rock avalanche. Yeah. Um, the list of women when he and the lawyer and the partner go into the restaurant and look around to try to find women he knows. Mm-hmm. Um, some uh, four of the women listed were real actresses who were in the movie. Oh, Eugenia Gilbert, Judy King, Hazel Di- Diane, and Bertine Burkert were <laughs> were women who were actresses and that was those were their real names have have bertine has not aged well as a name no not not too many little bertines i went to college with a girl named erlene that was a rough name erlene not as rough as bertine i think bertine Bertine is this i could this was a broadway production first Mm -hmm. i cannot imagine it I mean, how would the chase scene? Oh, they would have... just run across the stage. Yeah, I know, but it, yeah. So, um, like, yeah, the, like have... he created the chase scene, like you know, yeah. right? Because he went, oh, these rocks are coming at me. That would be funny, which was, of course, the best bit. And that the seven million he was going to get was worth one hundred and four million in two thousand nineteen. Mm-hmm. Okay, Miss Aaron. Um, 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 um. The shooting began in January 1925, which, think about that. That shooting began in January and it was released March 11th. So. Oh my yeah. God. Wasn't a lot of, oh my God. What is, wasn't a lot of post production going on there. Like, yeah. they crank these things out. Because, again, at the time, it was just you crank these movies out make some money while you're making the next one it wasn't like film this is look at this um this it was remade in 1999 called the bachelor with chris o'donnell and renee zellweger i had no idea oh my god yeah Yeah. i was like wasn't this movie remade and he was like i remember seeing like a it's called The Bachelor with Renee Zellweger. I'm going to write yeah. that down. I'm going to have to check it out. Um. Okay. So then this is all stuff about Buster Keaton. Um. I already mentioned how his parents were vaudeville performers. And his dad owned a traveling show with Harry Houdini. And they would perform yes. on stage. And they sold med air quotes medicine after the show what yeah that and they would go that's why he was born in kansas because that happened to be the town that they were i fear what town in kansas i know that kansas but that's is where a they state, were for the but, traveling show yeah like how i was born in germany because that's where you were during when i was born. probably fort Leavenworth. i'm just saying. no it was like a small town it seems like a p in kansas smaller than fort Leavenworth. okay it, it was Kansas. Like, what's you have Kansas City, and then what? <laughs> um. So, it's said that it when he was eighteen months old, that an actor in their show, George Party, saw Buster tumble down stairs when he was eighteen months old, and he came up unhurt, laughing and giggling. And he you know said, what that reminds me of? Me. 
Oh, because I took when a tumble downstairs. And and his preschool teacher said he knows how to fall because <laughs> yeah. he could he could tumble and, and bounce back up. Yeah. Well, I thought I mean, I I I'm also sorry. remember like I fell down concrete steps. In you Germany. did. And you bounced up because you had a snowsuit on. But OK. But yeah, but I couldn't have you been also Buster. You had to fall and bounce back up. And I couldn't have been Buster because I had Uncle Buster. The name was already taken. That's true. That's true. Um, and he said he's a regular Buster. But then when when Buster Keaton recounts the story, like in interviews, he always says that it's Harry Houdini who said it. Which is what if your dad had a, a show with Harry Houdini, you would change it to be like, you yeah, indeed. Harry Houdini said he's such Harry a Houdini Buster. Harry Houdini named me. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And and there was stuff that like in his career, like in other shorts and stuff of of tricks that he used. I I, I this could could be untrue, but I remember like again later in his life he had rocky times and I think he was put into a mental institution and he was able to get out of the straight jacket because he was friends with Harry Houdini so he right. knew the trick right. how to get out um, skills to know so then I already mentioned how at three that's when he started working and yeah I mean, the little boy who couldn't be damaged and he wouldn't have bruises and that's and then so like you say, it's really interesting with him because like I said, with um, Harold Lloyd and Charlie Chaplin and stuff. And then in the 40s, people were kind of like, oh, and they kind of got back into Buster Keaton and because his career, you know, MGM and then also talking pictures started coming back into style and he, I mean, talking pictures were in the style and stuff. And so then that kind of took things, the visual aspect of the storytelling mm-hmm. and added in the words. And so the visuals kind of got, right. weren't as important and stuff. But then when television came on because they needed content, he really loved it because he thought of that as the second wave of vaudeville. Because they needed contact oh. content and they needed to do shows, so he did a lot of TV shows, a lot, I didn't like know popping that. up and stuff. Yeah, because people were fans of his. They had seen his work and they loved what he did. And he was older, um, but he liked coming in and just doing like the shows and stuff. So he worked and kind of got an appreciation, um, and stuff. And then, excellent. Just one last point to like tie in from what I was saying at the very beginning and in the middle and at the end all throughout this episode to reiterate. So there were a lot, like I said, 80% of black films got, um, ended up being destroyed and we don't have those anymore. So it isn't like that there weren't films being made, but then when sound came in to play that look at when sound pictures come into play, I believe it's 1929 also exactly when the great depression hits so Uh you had sound recording and in order to make sound films the talkies as they say that cost a lot more money and you had the great depression which hit and you can imagine who that hit disproportionately to again see history of america and that's why there was just like a sudden decrease and and decline of black films getting made 
And then whenever black films did get made, they were always referred to as race films because right. we're not equal. So we have to have a special designation for this film instead of it being like, no, oh, we're American. We've been here longer than most people have. We built this country. This should be films for everyone. It was these are race films. So that's just kind of a, a little bit of like, well, you could say, well, but they didn't, they weren't making films. That's why they're not on the AFI list. No, it's not, not true. That's not true. Okay. That is seven chances by Buster Keaton. Mm-hmm. But also, I'm sorry, while you're talking about that, mm-hmm. I, when you were talking about AFI earlier, there's an, and I don't know any of these movies, so I don't know, but it's a New York Times article but it's from 2018 and it's 28 films for black history month. And there's like, it's not like 1920, 1928, 1929. Like it's a lot of movie. Like they're all like movies from that. Mm-hmm. Cause we've done some within our gates. We did hallelujah. And there's more to do. It's not that Oscar Michelle within our gates is the number one movie they have listed. Yeah. That's Oscar Michelle. I mean, I did, I knew about Oscar Michelle. I did in what 2002, my senior project was inspired by Oscar Michelle. Cause I was not, I was in film school at the time. It was not taught that Oscar Michelle existed. I went, I was in, a, I took a silent film class. I watched birth of a nation. I was not told of the existence of Oscar Michaud. I, f- I found him out myself. And I wrote a bluesicle about it. There's no way for listeners to find Truth and Soul. I mean, it's on YouTube. I don't know, how, it, I don't know that, how well Truth and Soul, like, I don't know how well it ages. It might not, but it is an introduction into Oscar Michaud. What I mean, very rudimentary. No, about I, Oscar. I it wasn't like I got to see Oscar Michaud. I didn't right. all. I didn't get to watch any of his films before I wrote this thing about it because the internet wasn't like the internet is now. Where exactly. I'm like, oh, I can rent this movie. Like I would have had to gone to a place and be like, do you have Within Our Gates? And they're like, what? What are you talking about? Right. Right. Okay. Next week. Ooh, next week. So I was like, okay, so do we just do a comedy? What do we do? I decided that Gone with the Bushes is going to do a brand new genre. A genre we have not yet done before. And we have not discussed. I don't believe (laughs) we have done this genre before. A genre? We're going rogue. Are we doing a documentary? How do you do that? <laughs> oh my god! How did she do that? I'm so stupid. How do you? Uh, you and Adam. It is indeed, and it is not a classic. It is not from times past, but it is one that everybody needs to see. Are we doing thirteen? We are. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's good. We were just saying, Adam was just saying, you've never seen that. Yeah. Oh, it's, man. It, it is the documentary everybody needs to see. Ava DuVernay. Yeah. The 13th. You need to watch it. You need to. It's on Netflix. It is on Netflix. Netflix. 
nobody needs to pay any money unless you don't have Netflix. And if you don't have Netflix, you know somebody that does have Netflix. Don't be tripping like you don't know how to get Netflix. Exactly. You can you can just uh, it's time. It is time. Sixteen hundred Black Lives Matters Avenue. Motherfuckers. Wow, Ma. I'm proud of you. Thank you. We might get our required watching done tonight. Oh, sorry. There you go. It is 2016. It is 2016. Adam, it's she picked the 13th, which is you kept saying we need to watch that. We do need to. I watched it when it came out. Yes, I've seen it before, and I need to see it again. Just. Because Pay the fuck attention. That's what I was saying about this. It, this shows you what happened from the end of the Civil War to where we are now and specifically how we got there, which, I, you know, we're taking the film camera apart to put it back together. And yep. we need you need to know the parts and the components in order for there to be real and lasting change because history yep. echoes and if you're like, I can't, why is it still not, we, this is why. And it goes into yep. that because I remember in school, you do, you go to the civil war, they teach the civil war and then they skip ahead and they don't really teach what happened from there to be like, well, wait, what? Because if, you, if you're just going based on, on what you see, you would just think like, yeah, but people were slaves and then they were free and then they were poor and then they went into inner cities and got hooked on crack. And that's yes. not what happened. Right. That is not right. what happened. Right. That is the story yeah, that you what have happened? been told. You guys got freed. What's your problem? That is okay. not what Watch happened. Watch the 13th and you will find out what happened. Aaron, uh, NPR, the last one I listened to was a woman in Poland talking about um, Donald Trump. Do you know... Oh, I didn't listen to it, but I know what you're... Oh, it's so good. Seeing how we are... Be- I mean, it's the beginning of a fascist state. Well, it, so, it's... People have been... like That's not a new thing. It's... It's not a new thing, but for a lot of people, it's like, yeah, it's time to pay oh, attention. Oh, wow. Like, I'm telling you, get fresh air, man. They're on it. They have... Okay. So are you talking about journalists and Applebaum says President Trump's threat to deploy the military on peaceful protests? Yes, and Applebaum, So that's why GOP leaders back Trump's proto-authoritarian cult. Yes. That was Thursday on Fresh Air. Yes. On Friday, Fresh Air, the unresolved legacy of Reconstruction. There you go. I'm I'm telling you, Terry Gross knows what's up. Okay, good. Okay, excellent. So next week, it is the 13th, and you better fucking watch it. That, look, Damn it. I didn't even... That's... Been late. The gauntlet... I've never, I've never seen it. You are gonna be... It's gonna... Oh, it's unbe-freaking-leavable. Well, listeners, we hope you enjoyed this... This um, silent film comedy which is this podcast is twice as long as the film <laughs> the film but it is all needed commentary i'm reclaiming my time i am reclaiming my time that's right well we hope you enjoyed this episode and we will see you next week 
for some some more insights into black lives life. mattering black lives matter avenue and you know what i'm gonna be looking to see how well this episode does 13th you're on i'm you're white, on white supremacy i'm watching i'm looking i'm gonna see how these that's numbers right. are that's right oh it's too uncomfortable oh but take some of this burden take some of this pain so far our most downloaded episode i don't know about listen to but downloaded has been christine's midnight cowboy so which i did see when i i clicked on that link when you put up the um afi top 100 and i have to say i picked that out of nowhere and not ever hearing about that movie before and it was on that list yeah yes ma'am like, oh, no. uh, yeah like, that's, oh, that's that's why you are a bush one of the 100 greatest films according to a bunch of white men so yeah that's right <laughs> boy i sure know how to pick them <laughs> yes you do you know how to pick interesting men as well okay listeners there you go there you go Bye. Bye. Bye.